You look smart, Mr Blackadder. Going somewhere nice? No. I'm off to the theatre. Welcome, everyone, to Hi. the first episode of this as-yet-unnamed podcast. We'll, we'll be um, taking suggestions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I uh, I am Max, and uh, with me, as always, is Margot. Hi there. Hello. This is, this, this is fun. This is, this is a podcast about William Shakespeare. Hopefully not a subject anyone has previously done a podcast about. Oh no, it's just pretty obscure. So I, I feel like yeah, we're yeah, in, yeah. in we good, think we've uh, we've hit a good vein here. No one has ever discussed the early modern theater in any avenue. Actually, it's extremely untapped territory. Yeah. Uh, so we're um, we're great. We're trendsetters. Exactly. So um, do we want to? Start by maybe speaking a little bit about what this is and uh, um, sure why. Like maybe we should begin by talking about where our respective relationships to Shakespeare began. That's pretty. Where, that's where pretty they good are stuff. now, because I think I think the gap between us, as far as this goes, is kind of why this podcast exists. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I come from a, a decently theatrical background. Uh, I was in a commercial as an infant. That's not Shakespearean, but it is true. And I did a lot of acting throughout school. And then I, I sort of got bored with, um, you know, the sort of conventional theater stuff. And I wanted to do something more interesting. And so that sort of necessarily took me because I, you know, it, it's almost like, we know each other through alternate history. It's almost like we like history. Imagine that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that sort of took me to Shakespeare. And I, I, I learned a fair bit pretty quickly. I had seen some things growing up. My dad is a big old movie buff. And I, I don't think it was my first Shakespeare production or anything. But Olivier's Hamlet is certainly one of the first major Shakespearean works I, have ever, I had ever seen. I have mm-hmm. opinions on it. I don't think it's actually that great, but I, I did see it at a very early age. But um, since actually getting into the theater myself, I've done a fair few shows and I've read a qu- quite a great deal. I was lucky enough to star in a couple of shows, namely um, King Lear and in a production of Henry IV, parts one and two that uh, I cobbled together myself in a way with, in which I am not especially happy but even so uh i think i did a good job and so here i am as as a student at college or university um actually it's not a university um because in america those are different things but uh i'm studying shakespeare among other things it's certainly what i intend to get my degree in and i do a lot of reading of it and i think about it perhaps too much (laughs) And that is a succinct, I think, description of my theatrical background vis-a-vis William Shakespeare. Also, I know a fair bit about uh, other playwrights of the period because people seem to view Shakespeare 
as like the only person working in his day and that's fucking wrong pardon my french yeah that, i mean considering that can be, like... that, that can be demonet we might get demonetized um but <laughs> no, if uh, we're demonetized it's gonna be because one of the drops i've taken have something copyrighted in them that is a very good point but yes people seem to yeah. view him as the only person working in his day which is preposterous yeah i mean considering how many of like based on my limited knowledge and i'll get to that in a minute um but like based on the number of of shakespeare plays that seem to have been uh, adapted from things other people wrote like five years before that was my water that is that was making us take yeah it's very dumb i mean as we will discuss in, in in some detail uh indeed some of his best known plays were perhaps collaborations. Macbeth is an obvious example. We'll get into that. Yeah. Um, so to mention my... Oh, and we're doing Macbeth. I, sh- I should say that. It's oh, probably, oh, yeah. Yeah, we missed that, we, we? should perhaps... It will probably be in, in the title of whatever it is we... we yeah, 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 yeah. Thunder, yeah. Like hopefully, but, hopefully you, the listener, will have already figured that out, but... We but we are we are covering so until now. we are covering yeah. the tragedy of Macbeth, likely 1606-1607, I want to yeah. say. So that's fun. It's a good play. Yeah. No, it's um so to briefly get into my um my background, you mentioned you come from a decently theatrical background. I do not. Oh. I think it's fair to say because you uh, and not to dox you or anything, are from Los Angeles, California, correct? I am, but we must say nothing more about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I am from uh, a town in rural Sweden. So, like, based on that, you can imagine that, like, the gradual exposure, like, the levels of exposure to the theater as a medium, just by dint of, of where we grew up, are quite different. Mm-hmm. So in my hometown, there was probably one or two uh, touring national theater productions a year that showed up in town for like a weekend. Uh, and then um, occasionally there'd be a farce in town in the summer. And then there were various sort of local amateur companies that no one watched. That's, that is how it goes. Yes. Um, and so my my main exposure to theater growing up was when our school would take us to watch something uh, staged by one of the, those local companies. And usually that was uh, not fun. Okay. <laughs> to me. So like it took me very long to accept that like the stage was a place where interesting things could happen. Sure. And uh, like, so my my exposure to this stuff is, is colored by that. Uh, and also I think we should, another like differential we should mention is that like, I think the extent to which specifically Shakespeare is studied is very different from uh, the English speaking world to the non-English speaking world. Yeah. I was just um, about to ask uh, what, what play- because I think in like, my understanding is that the English speaking world Literature in, um, at least in secondary education, is goes something like ancient Greece, uh, Shakespeare, modern stuff. That's essentially and right. Like, those are the three, like the three categories of things that are studied. Whereas in, as an American high schooler, 
I we had to add Steinbeck, but that's about right. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Um, You're absolutely correct. Yeah, I mean, he falls into the category of modern stuff, I think. No, that's true. It's almost um, like he was a modern yeah, like, writer. So, like, basically <laughs> the only... Basically, the impression I get is that the only things that Americans... Uh, the only literature Americans study in school that are from before America existed or before the United States existed are ancient Greece and Shakespeare. Can't argue with that. So I wish like, I could. I can't. I mean, I. This isn't to say that like the American school system is bad, although, mm, but like and like we our literature wasn't really superbly rounded. Although, again, it's not that everything we studied was uh was swedish like the two things i remember reading in in secondary school that I read um and so like i think i think the attitude that uh, that is taken towards shakespeare here is that he he is unquestionably a great author and like one of the one of the significant the, the significant people writing in the early modern period, but not quite to the exclusion of exactly everything else in the period, the way he is in the English speaking world. That makes sense. So I, like I'm curious, my, by the way, when you say you saw um, community theater, what, what sort of things did you see? Because uh, the only <sighs> Swedish playwright I can name is Strindberg. Did you see Strindberg? I kind of doubt it. No, like we mostly saw like newly written kids stuff. Gotcha. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not the classics. Um, yeah. The only exception to that really was uh, again in secondary school where we saw a uh, an, a, a theatrical adaptation of Don Quixote. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And I actually kind a of A text, liked by that. the way, William Shakespeare was was we think perhaps this is debatable intimately familiar with but that's yeah. a discussion for i mean that, that would surprise date. me yeah a later um, day so the the only thing i remember about that production was that sancho was a pants roll interesting um, that's not the choice i would have made but that's interesting yeah i mean it's probably to do with like the specific dynamics of the company of the company the absolutely oh, oh, absolutely would be good as him absolutely um, so, yeah, so my exposure to Shakespeare through my childhood was mostly through all of the cultural references to his work in other stuff. Okay, so um, that, that makes it interesting coming back to the an original text. Yes, sort of. and that's, that's like kind of what I'm hoping to do with this, uh, is to figure out that, to figure out how, how much of a hack author x is that i previously thought was a very original <laughs> writer that's fun um yeah uh and uh, i'll have some things to say about that as we delve into macbeth sure about. but yeah like one specific thing i remember from from my early childhood was um there's a comic book that was popular in sweden at the time and i think still might be i haven't read it i haven't read the new editions for like 15 years Oh, okay. Um, a comic book called Bamsa, which is about a bear who gets, or like an anthropomorphic bear who gets superhuman strength, as if a bear needs that, from special honey that his grandmother cooks. And he travels like the world. Winnie with his, the Pooh could never. He travels the world with his two friends, a 
a turtle who invents things and uh, a rabbit who is mostly around like to to pass messages around and to be frightened at things Um, and in in the year 2000 they did a long series where the turtle friend invents a time machine uh, and they travel through various pivotal moments in the previous thousand years of history okay Uh, and one of the one of the issues of that they went back to elizabethan england and they have to help shakespeare stage the original production of hamlet okay because I think he would have uh, been fine, but I'm sure. Because un- unbeknownst to history in this comic, uh, Shakespeare had fatal stage fright. Sure, why so not? They have to help him with his lines. Okay. Um, so that's like, that's the first thing I can remember reading that directly touched on Shakespeare. <laughs> that that's pretty great. I have to admit. So from there on out like you have the the references to hamlet and to romeo and juliet and the other sort of standard works i mean i think those are the two big shakespeare plays that and like any swede on the street could name i'm sure that's true yeah uh hamlet is kind of the standard because it's it's set not at all far from where i live and currently am Mm-hmm. Although it is, it is across the strait in a different country. But sure, I mean, it's still and, and like has very little to do with Elsinore oh, yeah. Castle to oh, yeah, begin absolutely. with. Yeah. But Elsinore Castle is a real place. You can go there, or in my case, yeah. sail by early in the morning while you're asleep. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I used to work last summer. I worked in um, in the town directly across the strait from it. So I would I would see it on the train every morning. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so that's like briefly my my history with Shakespeare, which is less direct, I think, than yours. Yeah, and, and that's really interesting. Purpose, I mean, the, uh, the high concept that we came up with for this podcast was uh, to do one of those my friend hasn't seen things. Uh, Don't tell them we were inspired by other work. Come on. I can't. I can't believe this. But yeah, that yeah. was the that was the idea. I mean, I'm doing uh, I'm, I'm doing tragic betrayal as a way to set us up for the play we're about to discuss. <laughs> oh, very good. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so let's say that's that was the intent. That's anyway. very good. So, so, um, so we should uh, we should get into Macbeth now. I think. Yes. And um, so let's. Macbeth, also known sometimes as the Scottish play. It's um, cursed, allegedly. Yeah, so I thought we would begin by talking a little bit about why Macbeth is, is the Scottish play, both why people call it that, and also maybe why Shakespeare thought it would be a good idea to write a Scottish play at that specific time in history. Sure. So the first thing I guess I would yeah. like to say... So, like, uh, this is something I should... No, because I have, I, have te- I have taken drops, which is something I should mention. And one of the things I watched in, in preparation for this was uh, the Blackadder episode, Sense and Senility, which was one of my... It's not where I learned about the Curse of Macbeth from, but it's, it's a very prominent case, display of it and parody of it. It's very good. I, 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 I am in, a big fan. 
Yeah, Blackadder is great. Uh, and in this episode, they um, Black after this uh, an assassination attempt on uh, Prince George, played by Hugh Laurie, who's Blackadder's employer. Um, Blackadder decides that they should hire a couple of actors to do to give him elocution lessons, and then he can g- give a speech and win the people's praise. Um, and when the actors arrive, he decides to taunt them by saying the word Macbeth as often as he can. Lead on, Macbeth. I shall. Lest you continue in your quotation and mention the name of the Scottish play. No, never fear, I shan't do that. (laughs) By the Scottish play, I assume you mean Macbeth. Ah! Ah! the tree to halt his stores, but we may commence. And while they do that, they sort of twiddle their hands around and... uh, pinch each other's noses we would show you but this is an audio medium and also yeah exactly and also max and i are several thousand miles away from one another (laughs) yeah but if those things weren't true we would show you we would pinch each other's noses yeah absolutely um of course the origins of the curse uh, as I understand it, have to do with the fact that witches appear in the play. Absolutely. And people thought that real-life witches would curse the production if they heard the word Macbeth mentioned in the theater. Um, I'm sure that's an origin. Uh, I have to say, I am a convinced skeptic on this point. Certainly, there you're are... Saying you don't, you're saying you don't believe that supernatural curses exist. And I'm sorry to say... I am unconvinced. Yeah, I mean, all our New Age listeners just left. I'm. I know. I know. We've, so we've lost that demographic. Now. We've lost. We've lost them. It's a tragedy. Okay. So there are absolutely accounts of people during the early modern period singing plays that are kind of witchy. Um, the one I'm specifically thinking of is Marlowe's Faustus. Seeing it. Oh yeah. And it being so witchy that they're like, oh my goodness, devils, demons. Now this is probably just an instance of um, people being like, wow, these are good special effects. They almost look real. And maybe if you've never seen a play before, the good special effects uh, <laughs> look real. I don't know. Yeah. That's th- I'm throwing something out there. Um, but I have, I have read. I have, people- I have to imagine the Elizabethan theater had some great special effects. Oh, they sure did. I, we are talking about a play which ends with Richard Burbage's head on a stick. Right. They, they had good effects, but I don't, there are, as far as I know, I'm happy to be corrected, no contemporary accounts of people saying Macbeth specifically is cursed. I don't think it gets started until the 19th century, it, if even maybe the late 19th century. During so this, the, is, this sounds like it's another case of the sort of collective English psychosis that began in the Victorian period, where they assume that Shakespeare is the only early modern. Hey, period. hey, hey, to be fair. It began in the 18th century. Um, <laughs> this is um, another thing we have David Garrick to blame for. Oh, we sure do. Garrick, Garrick loved Macbeth, but I mean, we all do. Oh, but sure. It's, it's funny because in Garrick's day in the 18th century, the play that people tended to regard as cursed was All's Well That Ends Well, which is kind of a, a, a cursed play in some respects, I suppose. I mean, the title is a jinx. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, there's some story about the actor playing the sickly king who has a, a fistula. We can talk about that later in another yeah, episode. Yeah, sh- I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about all all's well that ends well in a future episode. Um, and this poor actor uh, 
the story is he died uh, like minutes after leaving the stage or something like that. And that oh, was no. seen to be a cursed play because of this. And I can see I mean, the causation this, this there, where right? we talk about Moliere's death. <laughs> it, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as I know, th- there's no one really set, th- there's no good story that uh, really proves this. It looks to me like the earliest version of Macbeth being especially cursed in and of itself is Max Beerbaum, who was a great 19th century theatrical impresario, um, creating a story that the first boy actor to play Lady M uh, died, like in the production or something. Uh, and that's, as you say, very, this Victorian cult of Shakespeare. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't, be sh- I wouldn't be shocked to learn if it comes from there. But either yeah. way, it is a very witchy play. There's some weird stuff in it, unquestionably. Um, was he related to Herbert Beerbohm Tree? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, members well, of that I only ba- know of because of another great, um, another great fount of Shakespeare references, uh, Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will also say, by the way, that the Beerbohm family lasted long enough to be in film, which is I hate, I hate it. Um, anyway. Yeah. There's there was there are these Macbeth theater riots in 1849 in uh, the U.S. because um, basically it was tensions between Irish Americans who preferred their native-born American actor Edwin Forrest to the English theater uh, performer William McCready, and they were both doing Macbeth at the same time in New York, and uh, this created riots and people were killed. Twenty oh, people that's were killed. The most- 19th century New York thing I can imagine. Oh, isn't it? Um, ethnic, ethno religious, ethno religious riots over dueling Shakespeare, unquestionably. But <laughs> um, anecdotally, plenty of actors can tell you plenty of stories about you know crappy things happening during Macbeth, which is true. I mean, um, that's that seems like a confirmation bias thing to me because. Oh, well, I was just going to say because I was in a production of The Winner's Tale where the day of. Um, <laughs> One of our actors dropped out because his dad decided that actually he was no longer okay with a, a gay couple being portrayed in the production, like the day of. Um, oh, that no. seems like a theat- That seems like a cursed moment to me theatrically. That we were not performing Macbeth. Yeah, I mean, perhaps it would have been better because I like Macbeth more than I like The Winner's Tale. But I mean, in any, any event, any large project involving multiple people will not go according to plan. No, really? Yeah. And um, like the theater is no exception to that, as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, I'm drinking so, water. Like, it's very easy to find something, something that goes wrong and decide that it's because the play you're putting on is cursed. Absolutely. And if to be fair, to be fair, I can think of some reasons why, uh, Shake, why, why this play of Shakespeare's might be more perhaps fraught than others. I, if nothing else, it's the, the subject matter gets people edgy. Yeah. There's probably going to be a lot of special effects and special effects, the more complicated they are, the more they go yeah. wrong. Um, Which we, I could we, see it. I could see it. Yeah. But I don't think it's cursed. Mind you, that does not mean I do not uh, follow the kind of silly rituals that people do to um, ex- expurgate the curse. Yeah. <laughs> um, these days, mostly, and I, I, unfortunately, we don't do the Blackadder thing anymore. Ah! 
Yeah, that one. We don't do it so much. You you go outside the theater, you spin around, you spit, and then you ask to come back in. Uh, I feel like, like a first vampire. of all, it is a little bit. Um, no vampires in Shakespeare that I am aware of, unfortunately. Yeah. I feel uh, like it, that hadn't really filtered through for me. No, it wasn't really a thing yet. Uh, they didn't really know anything about Eastern Europe. The um, most exotic place Shakespeare could think of was Scotland. To be fair, then, he could think of Illyria. And maybe ancient Rome. Illyria. And, and, and the Bohemian coast. Yeah, God, don't get me started. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Scotland yeah. is pretty so much that's... the limit of an exotic place he knows well. Yeah. His contemporaries so knew other places better. He didn't. It's fine. Yeah. We love it. We love it. Yeah. So that's but the curse. That's uh, the curse. And of course, we kind of we kind of got into the idea of Shakespeare deciding he should write something set in Scotland. And I wonder why. It's no it's not really a coincidence that he would have done that in the first years of the 17th century because of the way that the the royal politics of England were looking at the time. So yeah. Shakespeare grew up and wrote most of his early work during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. A confirmed girl boss. Yes. Uh, who She was regarded for a long time as one of the most successful and popular monarchs in English history. And the reason for this... Uh, as <laughs> is I her amazing it, propaganda is machine. Uh, basically, in, in part... Partly because of her great propaganda machine, as you mentioned, and partly because the thing she did during her reign as a, in terms of a political action that is most notable probably was that she uh, continued to keep taxes artificially low. Yes. And when, she, and when she died, the state was in such a bad financial shape that her successors had to wrangle it into place by raising new taxes. And this and, ta- and taxing their subjects without the consent of parliament, which is yeah, a big no-no. Yeah, and this in combination with religious strife meant that England sank into a cycle of violence that ended with the English Civil Wars in the 18th, in the 1640s. Yeah. So the um, the generations that followed after Queen Elizabeth were kind of likely to see her reign as this golden age where none of this strife existed, which isn't really quite true, I think. To be fair, kicking the can down the road is one of the more viable political strategies out there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> it's not a good political in term, strategy. In terms of your own legacy, certainly that's true. Yeah. Um, um, and so one of the other things that Queen Elizabeth did, or rather didn't do during her reign, uh, was get married and produce an heir. So when she died in, I believe, the year 1600... 1603. Okay, so anyway, at that point, her heir was none other than King James VI of Scotland, who at that point became James I of England as well. James VI of Scotland. immediately decamped to London and became... King of England first and Scotland second. Did Scotland have way better universities? Unquestionably. Was it also an incredibly backwater power uh, at this point? Not that England really isn't. Yes, but these things are all true. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, 
today, if you ask me if I'd rather live in London or Edinburgh, I'd probably say Edinburgh, but <laughs> I'm not sure if that would have been true of 1603 me. <laughs> yeah. Because London, you, even as England, very scary. Yeah, even as England was uh, something of a backwater, London was, by that point, I think, already one of the great cities of Europe. Unquestionably so. A really wonderfully and, cosmopolitan city. Yeah, and a lot of stuff was happening there, including the thriving theater scene that, among other things, gave, gave us Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So in, in 1603, as mentioned, England got a king who was Scottish. And yes. that meant that the previous trend of, or trend, the previous tradition of, of writing plays that um, propagandized in favor of Queen Elizabeth and her line, the Tudors, uh, turned into or turned to the the use of the new Stuart dynasty and their Scottish origins. To be fair, this is not a universal trend. Some playwrights got in trouble for making fun of the Scots, as you would and expect, thus, because thus they're English. A proud tradition that would continue when the Stuarts were overthrown and replaced by the Hanoverians. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, so, but Shakespeare wasn't really one of those guys. No, maybe. Shakespeare. I, I, we'll end up talking about this uh, on and on, uh, but he always strikes me as a kind of a, as someone politically, a very consensual figure. They really valued consensual politics in the 17th century, 16th century, yeah, 17th century. Yeah, I mean, century. That's, that's true, I think, not just of England, but of I everywhere, think, really, because that's how monarchies work, right? You're yeah. supposed to be, You're supposed to be the legitimate king by the grace of God, and the way you show you're illegitimate is if a large portion of your subjects disagree with you. Or if, say, horses start eating one another, as an example. <laughs> yes, that is also not a good sign. <laughs> not a, uh, would we say not that... To ma- not to mention the moving forests. Yes. <laughs> or your um... top advisor being named Satan. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh my god, that, I'm not, that really threw I'm me. not sure if that one was something people picked up at the time, but like I'm pretty sure it was, right? Anyway, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, the so, actual precise origins of Macbeth is not something I know about in a great deal of detail, because as mentioned, you are the one who, who knows Shakespeare specifically. Sure. Out well, of the two of us. There, so maybe you could talk briefly sure. about how he so, came to... There is, in fact, a historical king called Macbeth who deposed a historical king called Duncan. That is about the limit of the history contained within this play. Yeah, Certainly, I mean, as, I think the medieval histories of Scotland and Sweden are kind of akin in this regard. That <laughs> we know who the kings were according to the chronicles and when they reigned. And maybe like some minor details of how they came to power if they weren't just the other guy's son. But beyond that, it's all kind of speculation. To be fair, I don't know if Shakespeare actually read any of those medieval Scottish chronicles. What he did read was Raphael Hollinshed's Chronicles of England, Scotland, and Ireland, which is not a good history, but probably one of the most influential histories ever written. Um, Yeah, I mean, as we mentioned before we started recording, the history of English literature would have been quite different if Shakespeare had had access to Google. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, and I mean, it's, I think it's worth remembering even like throughout this series as we discuss Shakespeare's various works and the research that went into them that access to 
history and literature in the 17th and 16th centuries was a lot more restrictive than it is today. Absolutely. Even if, even though printing existed by that point, people still didn't really understand how printing worked. Mm-hmm. And like uh, a lot they, of- They were obsessed with reading and writing, but they were still figuring it out, which I think is one of yeah. the things which makes I think the early modern of, period so interesting. Yeah, what I think of in analogy to this is because I am also a big music head and the analogy that comes to mind for me is how it took about 20 years from the invention of of vinyl records until people started using vinyl records for anything other than compilations of singles. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's funny because the thing I was, uh, the the, the comparison I would make to uh, my understanding of early modern print culture uh, is it's sort of like the early internet. Yeah, um, uh, you have. Yeah, you, I mean, the, you, I've heard the seventeenth-century uh, pamphleteering culture described as the Twitter of its time. I think that is absolutely fair. And yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. So and all, all, all in connection with that, and this is a bit later on, but the other great line I heard is that the Federalist Papers are history's first Twitter thread. They are most certainly not history's first Twitter thread. Um, the first Twitter thread are. It was, in my opinion, Blaise Pascal's Pensee, but we don't need to get into that. We, um, you should always be wary calling anything the first of <laughs> history. Yeah, I'm sure some Sumerians were Or just the like, only. Some Sumerians were like, these are the vibes today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. So, so back to Macbeth. Yes. And so, its origins. Yeah. So there are these historical figures for Macbeth, King of Scotland, who reigned from 1040 until um, 1057. Um, has nothing to do with the historical character. The historical Duncan, far from being this saintly king who the uh, the play portrays him as, someone with um, silver skin and golden blood. That's the phrase. It's gorgeous stuff. Oh, I'll get to the staging. Um, yeah. The, the historical king Duncan was a brutal thug, I think even by the standards of medieval Scotland. Um, but we don't need to get into that. This play is not really a history. Yeah, it's a tragedy. I think, I think this is one of those cases where comparing it to its alleged historical basis is kind of an impairment to I, I absolutely agree. reading the text. I absolutely yeah. agree. Um, and I think the same is true of Hamlet. When we I think you're that. right. And the same is definitely true of King Lear in as much as there was no historical King Lear. Um, no. They believed there was, but there was not. <laughs> um, so the real historical context... And, Maybe we don't want to belabor this too much because I think people do tend to I'm belabor just it too trying much. Trying to picture a Swedish Shakespeare writing the tragedy of King Attila the Third. I am sure that had Sweden had a more developed print culture, they would have. Yeah. Or theater culture, I should oh, say. Oh, for sure. I mean, 17th century Stockholm does not hold a candle to 17th century London. That is for sure. Um. So the real historical. Context I'd argue play. it still doesn't, but Aww. that's for another time. Aww. We don't uh, know Sweden discourse. There will be Norway <laughs> discourse. Absolutely. Yes. Um, probably We're the coming historic- for you, Fortinbras. Yes. Oh, no, it's all the same universe. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the Shakespeare cinematic universe. Someone wrote a comic about it. It's not very good, in my opinion, but they did do it. Uh, anyway. And the historical yes. context I would mention is some a little something called the gunpowder plot, because King James I and VI of Scotland, as you might imagine, was not a Catholic. 
Uh, no, his, his I mean, accession I, to I think as hard as it would have been and was to be a Catholic monarch in 16th century England, being a mo Catholic monarch in 16th century Scotland was not good for your health. Um, in, weirdly enough, Mary I of Scotland was not in fact killed by her own subjects. <laughs> um, uh, they would have probably liked to, but they, they didn't get around to it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, right, he is a convinced Protestant with abiding interests yeah. in theology. And like famously, a reasonably convinced Calvinist as well, right? Yes and no. Um, he's really big. He was really big on Episcopacy. Yeah. I mean, he certainly wasn't a Presbyterian. But um, I, I think his... I know more about his son than I know about him. I think his personal theology was probably somewhat in line with Charles's kind of high church Anglicanism, Anglicanism excuse me, but he is still Scottish. He, he, he's not yeah. as big a fan of... Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's a know, key difference Popery. between James and Charles as far as... Absolutely, absolutely. James grew up in Scotland and Charles really didn't. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so he comes to the throne. Famously, he has some of the leading scholars of England, I'd say probably a few from Scotland, don't quote me on that, come together to write a new translation of the Bible, which we now know as the King James Bible. There's some discussion Shakespeare may have helped a little bit. I don't really believe it, but I wish it were true. Um, I mean, it's one of those things you'd like to be true. Absolutely. Especially, especially if you were a scholar of English literature. Oh, unquestionably. Ironically, in the 17th century, the King James Bible, not really popular at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's only really... Wait, uh, are you it, telling me the King James Version isn't the one and only word of God? Buddy... I think I have to. As a Jew, I, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Anyway, so he made peace with Spain. They'd been, England and Spain had been uh, not undeclared war, just kind of a low scale war since the um, 1580s, right? Uh, he makes yeah, peace with that's Spain. The, that's the same thing as the Spanish Armada. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. He made he made peace with Spain, and mostly that endeared him to his Catholic subjects. But a few uh, were still unconvinced, you might say. Mm. Um, led by, um, well, actually not led by Guy Fox. He's common, he's the most famous figure associated with it. Yeah, he, I mean Guy Fox was just the guy watching the gunpowder stock. Wasn't yeah, he? he was a glorified handyman with a nice like the, uh, the person with a nice put beard. in charge of watching your explosives is usually not the leader of the plot. <laughs> no. Um, that's, that's just common sense, I think. So basically the plot was at the opening session of Parliament for 1606, where the king and his son Henry, not his son Charles, because um, I think Charles might have been there. I don't remember. Uh, but Charles was not the heir at this time. Henry Frederick was uh, until he got typhoid fever from swimming in the river, probably. Uh, don't <laughs> swim in that. Don't. <laughs> yeah, dudes rock uh, by drinking water from the 17th century Thames um, by yeah. accident, probably. Are we going to make a parallel here between the 17th century Thames and Philadelphia's brand new Vine Street Canal? No comment. Um, That'll date this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the plan was to blow up Parliament and kill a vast number of lords notable men of the country, many of whom I would imagine would have been Catholics themselves. Some Catholic oh, noblemen. Yeah. I mean, to be sure, ca like, the absolutely, to begin with. Absolutely a few Catholic noblemen were told, stay away from the opening session of Parliament. And they're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, this is like always 
when you're plotting to blow up parliament, always a great way to make sure that goes off without a hitch is to tell as many people as possible. They literally had basically open bar meetings where they talked about this. Um, <laughs> like famous playwright, Ben Johnson, one of the most entertaining figures of the period, was there. And he is famous for not shutting up about anything. Um, a lot of people in, especially like in alternate history circles, right? Like people are like, you know, what if X had gone through? I just don't think the gunpowder plot ever could have happened because um, Salisbury, but James I'm not disappointed minister. I didn't take a drop of the Bill in the Blackadder episode where Blackadder says, the criminal's vanity always forces them to make one tiny mistake. <laughs> Theirs was to have their entire plot printed and published in manuscript form. I mean, that, it wasn't quite that explicit, but it wasn't that far off, right? Yeah. Um, right, Salisbury, the, the Elizabethan state has a... Then re- shall we have servant sausages for tea, and servant rissoles shall our supper be. Oh my. <laughs> Anyway, um, so the plot. Yeah, so the plot was to blow everyone up, um, kill everyone, including a fair few Catholics. I will say, by the way, the vast majority, like I would probably hesitate to say 90%, 95% of English Catholics would have been horrified by this, as indeed they were. Um, yeah. And the plan was to kill I mean, they everyone. They just wanted to be left alone by that point. Yeah, they just wanted to be left alone and, and worship in peace. Absolutely. Um, And the plan was... like The way to do that isn't quite to blow up Parliament and and kill the entire nobility. Yeah. Um, So the plan was to send a rider out to um, capture James's daughter, Elizabeth, and make her queen. And the idea would be to raise her under a staunchly Catholic tutor. Needless to say, none of this happened because... This is a, a staunchly Catholic tutor. Yes, not a Tudor. There aren't that many left. Yeah. Um, like, I imagine not a lot of Catholic ones. <laughs> certainly not, no. But, yeah, it was a bad idea. It was never going to work because Salisbury, um, like I was saying a little earlier, had a really sophisticated um, spy apparatus set up. And he knew about it the whole time. Basically, he was just waiting for them to really make it... Yeah, to entrap themselves. To entrap themselves, to make it incontrovertibly obvious that they were going to do this. And if telling influential Catholic noblemen to stay away isn't enough of a smoking gun, (laughs) uh, finding uh, a man who is well-known to have fought for the Habsburgs on the continent, sort of babysitting a very suspicious number of barrels full of gunpowder right in the building, right next to Parliament... If, if that's not enough of a smoking gun, I don't know what is. Anyway, um, so they caught them all to widespread national acclaim, right? And they were tried, they were tried and executed horribly because it was the 17th century. Famously, yes, that was... one of the leaders of the plot was a guy called a Jesuit called Henry Garnet, who lied through his teeth during the proceedings and then defended it because he said lying in a religious context was okay it was equivocation Mm, that gets mentioned in the play um but also like they struck a commemorative medal of like a serpent under a bed of flowers and that gets explicitly mentioned in the text of Macbeth. people call this play a gunpowder play to be fair i i don't know how fair that is there were clearly some topical references but shakespeare is really quite averse to 
some of the more topical references that you might expect to see. Mm -hmm. But certainly the gunpowder plot is pretty clearly something uh, in everyone's mind yeah. at this point. I will also say every November 5th, it remains in the English national mind, the British oh, national yeah, mind. Oh, yeah, to be sure. Um, uh, oh, also like... And I mean, the word guy in English referring to any man or in some cases even any person is from the uh, the effigy that they would burn every year on... Yeah. Of a man named, lest we forget, Guido Fox. It's fine. Um, This is Italian-American erasure. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Oh, the last thing I want to say about James I is he really liked witches. Or he was very interested in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. He wrote a book about it. He wrote a book about it. Now, to be clear, by this period, he has kind of backed away from some of the more extreme aspects of it. I think there were even... I mean, he took personal interest in... um, which trials, which is wild to begin with. Yeah. But like by this period, he's uh, writing in this book he wrote for his son, Henry, uh, the Basilican Doron, where he's like, yeah, witches are totally real, but like, come on, not every person who's accused of being a, a witch is, a, is real. Like, don't be, don't be fooled. I think there's a, at least one case of him personally debunking a witch accusation. But I mean, he was obviously fascinated by it. It's fun I mean, my, stuff. My favorite kind of... Uh conspiracy theorist slash woo-woo believer is one who will strenuously deny that most of the things they come across are actually the thing they believe in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, Um, yes, I believe that supernatural visitations are real, but 95% of the people who say they have them are charlatans. I think that is probably by um, his accession to the English throne, a fairly accurate depiction of James I's opinion towards witchcraft. Yeah. Which is probably more wild than thinking witches are so, real. So we have our themes here of Scottish things, king killing, and witchcraft. And I just want to be and clear. Shakespeare, I, I just want to be clear plot. on one point, by the way. Shakespeare comes really hard down against king killing. Like, it's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone who wrote a play in 1606 saying, I think killing the king is based, actually, would have come off well. <laughs> no, <in history> perhaps not. <laughs> anyway, um, um, shall we so, get into the text? Yes. So we have, we should, I should mention first that in preparation for this episode, I have watched the 1979 televised Royal Shakespeare Company production. Starring Ian McKellen. Or Ian and McKellen and Judy Dench. And Judy Dench as his wife, yes. With Ian McDermott, uh, the Emperor yes. from Star Wars, as the Thane of Yes, Ross. indeed. I think Ian McDermott is the only Scottish actor in this production. Yeah. I mean, at least they're not doing horrific Scottish accents, right? That is true, yes. I think it would detract a lot from the performance. Oh, it would. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've had some experiences with that. Uh, much less than I have feared but yeah i i i once did a um a actor's workshop and um one of the texts someone brought in was i think it was um tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow or something like that and the guy at first he's doing it in a really thick squash accent and then everyone was like no you you can stop actually it was very funny um it was a yikes so so the play Uh, i I personally read the text 
Um, yeah. And, and I will be referring to a copy of the first folio. That is the only text of this play we actually have <laughs> um, as we discuss. Just yes. if it, it might be helpful, it might not be. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm compulsive, so we'll do it. Let's go. So the, the play opens on what I can only describe as typical Scottish weather. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, two We're on a rain-drenched, thunderous heath, and we see the... I think my favorite characters from this entire play, which are the three witches. Uh, they're, they're a very good choice as the best characters. Otherwise um, known sometimes as the weird sisters, although as I understand, that's not actually in the text. Um, technically, they are called the weird sisters. Um, ah, so this is one of those uh, uh, words that have changed meaning. Yes and no. I think it probably reflects some sort of early modern pronunciation, weird. Uh, yeah. Weird becomes weird or something like that. Um, I'm not an expert on this stuff. Don't quote me. Um, I would also say that weird is a, is a newer word than weird or a wayward, perhaps. It's, um, it's fun. Um, yeah. so my, favorite know- thing about, my favorite thing about Act 1, Scene 1 is how they call out for um, their familiars who we never see or get introduced to. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of that stuff in, in this production, I suspect, especially. Yeah. Um, so they, the witches, give um, a speech, which is, I think, I mean, I starting to watch this, I immediately recognize this speech. Oh yeah, it's incredibly it famous. E- extremely famous. Yeah, and I have a drop of the entire thing. Ooh, let's play it. When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning. And rain, when the hurly burl is done, when the battle's lost and won, there will be here the set of sun. Where the place? Upon the heath, there to meet with Macbeth. And so, this is our introduction to Macbeth the character. Before we've seen him or even heard what he is. Yeah. The witches know that they are going to meet him. And this is significant somehow. And um, they describe that thing, that fair is foul when foul is fair. So things yeah. are not what they seem. And there's something morally evil and corrupting of a brewing in Scotland. It's great. Yes. It's great. And I mean, this is, this is tragedy 101, right? Is to set up... As, as Peep Show would describe it, an intense atmosphere of dread. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I, that is what depicting witches on the early modern stage would do. Yeah, uh, unquestionably. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I think it is worth remembering this play was written in a time when, like, the mainstream still believed that witches were absolutely real. Yeah. At least to an extent. Oh, unquestionably. And that this was, like, a sign of bad things to come, just the fact we see them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's basically the extent of that scene. It's it kind of serves to set up the witches and very little else. And just sort of the supernatural grimness that we're about to see. Yes. Uh, One, Uh, two. One, two is quite important, actually. Yeah. Um, Although it's extremely exposition heavy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is where we meet 
uh, King Duncan, who is in this production dressed as a priest. Yeah, um, they're not exactly subtle about the idea that the king is literally God on earth in this play. Yeah. At, at one point in the text, uh, Duncan is literally compared to a church, like literally. <laughs> and um, he is. Uh, he's I mean, it, it's really by... interesting because it's like, for even like it's it's a really simplistic conception of monarchy for the early modern period. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Stuarts are are you know big believers in the divine right of kings, but even this is kind of heavy-handed. You know, mm -hmm. uh, this is this is a kingship that is just purely divine. And, and later we see this uh, in a scene. I think they cut from the, um, the seventy-nine production you watched, um, where uh, they're in the court of Edward the Confessor, talking about how he's so holy as a divinely chosen king, he can cure the evil, right? The king's evil. Oh yeah. Which was, I believe, a practice King James did not think very highly of, <laughs> um, because. Uh, he's very much like an early modernist. Like he definitely has not just a foot, like an entire leg in the medieval world. Um, but he's sort of part of the, Scot the Scottish Enlightenment, I think you would say, or the beginning of mm. it. But anyway, so we have Duncan here and yeah, we're, and we're met, on a battlefield. Yeah, and he's met by a wounded soldier who tells him that um, the king's two generals, Macbeth and Banquo, have defeated the rebellion led by the Thane of Cawdor. Known as McDonwald, who is, um, seems like he's going to be important. <laughs> he never appears. Yeah. Um, um, because as it turns out, um, the thing you have to remember about him is not so much anything about him as just the title Thane of Cawdor. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, this also isn't important too, but it's amusing um, to me. I think it might also be amusing to my um, Nordic co-presenter that uh, McDonald, McDonald, or as one text I saw him uh, referred to, McDonald, which I hate just personally, um, he is fighting with the Norwegians. Or oh, yes, the, they do the, mention that. Or in the folio text, the Norwegians. Hey. Uh, either way, I think it's very funny. Um, to see uh, evil Norway. Also, they're going to give them yeah, dollars. I mean, they, like, that's uh, kind of accurate to... Oh, it is. It, Scotland, yeah, that's it? the funny thing. It's one of the more historically accurate vibes of this show. Yeah. Um, so, um, after this scene is, end, is over, we move back to the witches. Oh, uh, let me, oh, we, oh we, do, we do learn in this... Um, that Macbeth is incredibly brave and a great yes. soldier to the extent that he was able to um, cut McDonald from the nave to the chops, that is, from the head to the crotch, straight through, in half. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That's, that's not, I mean, I think, I'm not sure that's physically possible. Or at least um, you would have to slice very, very quickly. Yeah. So um, we learned yeah. Macbeth is fantastically brave and valiant. 
boy, I sure hope he uses these fantastic skills of his yes. in the pursuit I mean, of I'm good. Sure this only bodes well for his development as a character. Yeah. <laughs> um, ah, but so, let's meet him. Yeah. So we get in the third scene, we move back to the witches who um, the are talking about can... how they've been victimizing this, um, this poor man because uh, he's a sailor whose wife was mean to them when they were trying to get some chestnuts to eat. Yeah. And they, they just torture him. Um, Weary seven nights, nine times nine, shall he dwindle, peak, and pine. Though his bark cannot be lost, yet it shall be tempest-tossed. Uh, this is sort of topical, but also it's just like, I feel like there might be some parallelism to this story of the sailor and the sailor's wife to Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. I, I don't have like a thesis about this yet. Yeah. But either way, this is just to give the witch's characterization. Oh yeah, uh, and just and, and just there's, a, there's one line from this speech that I that stuck out to me, which I took a drop of. Go ahead. Her husband's to Aleppo gone, master of the tiger. And I think what's Aleppo? I think yeah. Topical I think before reference. we move on, we have to ask ourselves, what is Aleppo? <laughs> I feel like it is an amazingly good question as to what Shakespeare knew about Aleppo. <laughs> yeah. Someone should go back in time and ask Shakespeare what Aleppo is. I don't know if he would have any idea. Um, it's, a, it's a nice exotic place where apparently they have tigers. Actually, the tiger is the ship. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, I mean, that still, that's, still makes it strange because Aleppo is landlocked, but... Shakespeare does not let landlocked countries or locations <laughs> no. stop him. He does, he does not give landlocked people any quarter whatsoever yeah <laughs> um anyway so, anyway so at this point um the witches run into macbeth and and banquo uh, and banquo who i have described in my notes as macbeth's himbo friend <laughs> oh no he is a little bit by the way, Macbeth's first line in the text is, so foul and fair a day I have not seen. Wow, that's yeah, not that's associating him with yeah. the, that's not associating him with evil or the witches or the idea of morality souring. Nope, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's great my, stuff. It's my just Swedish not subtle. My taught me to avoid Anna for, and I have to say Shakespeare is failing this exam. <laughs> um, buddy, they loved it so much. <laughs> Okay, so the when uh, Macbeth and Banquo run into the witches, they have. So first of all, I should say that Mac, that Banquo is clearly clearly not a woke man because he delivers this line: "You should be women." Yet your <laughs> beard forbid me to interpret that you are so. God damn it, Banquo! Banquo is cancelled. <laughs> Turf Banquo. <laughs> Yeah, 30 seconds into his, his scene and Banquo is already cancelled. So are we rooting for him to die because he's, <laughs> he's, um, he, would, he would say that we should give J.K. Rowling a chance? <laughs> yeah. Banquo is one of the five people who's, who has subscribed to Graham Linehan's newsletter. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, so no. When, so then the witches greet Macbeth. All hail Macbeth. Hail to thee, Thane of Glams. All hail, Macbeth. Hail to thee, Thane of Cawdor. All hail, Macbeth, that shalt be king hereafter. Well, that bodes well. Yes. Um, Macbeth is... 
not pleased by this. And Banquo thinks that's very strange. Because, you know, they just said he's going to be king. That can only be a good thing, right? Ah, but what do they have to say to him? Yes. Uh, they tell Banquo that his, that his descendants will be kings. Uh, and this kings is potentially of a, of a united Scotland and England. Just, just yeah, throwing that is, possibility out there. This is significant there. because although I don't think... Like, this is kind of interesting, right? Because this particular prophecy doesn't actually come true in the text of the play. No, it doesn't. But, uh, it was... Banquo was the allegedly like the legendary ancestor of the House of Stuart. Mm-hmm. Which so is funny is because the House that, of Stuart has uh, not a very impressive ancestry in actual history. Yeah. I but, mean, they're called that because they were the stewards of... I yeah. think the previous people who were kings. Yeah, the previous before dynasty, they exactly. became, and then kings. they usurped the throne. Yeah. Um, oh well. But yeah, um, so allegedly they are descended from Banquo, and this prophecy reflects this. Yep, and, so and we'll get a little bit more is, of that later. Banquo is the guy that James the First is descended from, and this I think is important to understanding him as a character. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's yeah, kind of why he's his, so his, sort of his, his pure saintly. He's yeah. sort he's kind of saintly. He's not as Christ-like as Duncan, but no. he's a good dude. Yeah. And uh, so Banquo um, realizes that uh, Macbeth's reaction to being told he's going to be king is not what he thinks it should be. <laughs> um and can I, have... I will say one thing which I find extremely funny? Um, as they're the witches vanish as they've greeted, greeted them with these news of uh, this news, yes. And, and this is and Banquo said, or do you have it? I don't know if you have it. I don't, I don't have the drop, no, okay. Because I think one of the funniest lines in the is unintentionally funny. Banquo asks, like, oh, those these, are the best kind to take, drops were they from. really here or were. Or, quote, have we eaten on the insane route that takes the reason prisoner? Buddy, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> the insane route that takes reason prisoner. I, don't I think, think I was prescribing that at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, me after I got my wisdom teeth out. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, this so is, like, it's beautiful phrasing, but, like, it is kind of hilariously <laughs> nonsensical. Yes. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. So poor bank, poor once himbo. The witch, once the witches have gone away, um, one of the king's messengers shows up, and this is Pat- Angus. One of the Ross and Angus show up. Um, there are a lot of fans in this play who are not that important. Um, we might try to cover some of them. I don't think yeah. we'll be very successful because they kind of blend together. Yeah, so we should mention that Ross, of course, is Ian McDermott, who is probably best remembered today for playing Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. Yeah, I don't remember who played Angus in this production because he's really forgettable. Sorry. Yeah, I think this <laughs> that's is not his fault. Act- I think that's this not is one his of those fault. actors who didn't have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> you know, you but failed yeah. as a British actor when you don't have that. <laughs> oh yeah, especially as a Shakespearean actor. Uh huh. Anyway, yeah, so, Ross and so Angus they, are like, they congratulations. And they say, congratulations, Macbeth. The king has made you Thane of Cawdor. He is 
taken aback, you might yeah. say, by this fact. I think one of, especially in Ian McKellen's Macbeth, one of the defining traits of him as a character is that he is constantly terrified of everything that happens to him. See, one of the things about this text, which is kind of difficult, uh, is how short it is, right? It, it's so mm-hmm. quick. Um, there's a fairly decent amount of scholarship, some uh, which I, I kind of buy, that the text of Macbeth we have is a uh, greatly edited one from maybe the 1620s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that I, would make sense because that's... The first folio didn't come out until after Shakespeare died, right? Yes, seven years after Shakespeare died. Um, yeah. Which is why it's sort of funny when people say this is the absolute, like, the word of God, like, they're King James only, but with Shakespeare for the first <laughs> folio. Um, yeah. Buddy. And I mean, this is, to be clear, no. this is after King James died. Um, yes, it is. Um, yeah, but no. Yeah, so. Um, it's, it's a lot. Um, yeah, but and this it's, is it's where really... this is where Macbeth has the first of several oh, soliloquies. What, what I was just going to say is, uh, it's really interesting. McKellen does it as someone who is ambitious, but kind of stumbles, terrified backwards into it. But yeah. you could very effectively play it as someone who maybe has even been thinking about deposing Duncan before all of this happens. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of makes sense because the way it happens in this production, it's very sort of sudden. That's it. That, and the thing, and that's basic, the basically, basically, McKellen runs into these witches who tell him that he's going to be king and figures, oh, well, I'd better just kill the king immediately then. Yeah. Um, and sort of the scholarly thinking is to some extent that, like, maybe there was a longer version of the play where he deliberates more. Maybe. Yeah. I, I can't prove that. We can't prove that, obviously. Yeah. Um, unless, I don't know, we find an addition. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but I find it pretty compelling as a theory and and so one of the things that makes this play so creepy is it's not really a play about ambition it's a play yeah this stuff just happens it just happens i mean he feels bad about it we'll talk about this he feels about it bad about it right here um but he basically just he uh basically does it and then the rest of the play is his decline there's an incredible weight of destiny here absolutely which i think I, I don't know shows... if I don't know if free will exists in this in the world of this play. Yeah, I mean we see we see the long shadow of Sophocles here. I think I think you're absolutely and a brief right. Tragedy more generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned Oedipus Rex is one of the two things I read in school. <laughs> um, um, there was, uh, it, but there, yeah, like a, this is the Aaron, Greeks. The Greeks would have the... absolutely uh, recognized this as a as a good yeah. play. Because Except this, for maybe the, the, the dynamic here is place the witches say time. this is going to happen, and so everything that happens is just inevitable. Yeah. And all that Macbeth can really do is play his part and then be terrified by what destiny has forced him to do. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's, um, defi- so let- that's definitely McKellen's interpretation anyway. Um, it's a very in good interpretation. There yeah. are absolutely other ones that can be done, um, but he does it very effectively. Yeah, and I mean, I, I reckon that... Th- so I mentioned that this scene is Macbeth's first soliloquy. He will have several. Um, will he? And my note here just says Ian McKellen is an incredible actor because I think I think anyone below him might struggle to convey 
the weight of this so early on. Which was the speech that really made you think that? Is it the two truths are told? Um, when you talked about, um, I am Thane of Cawdor, why do I yield to the suggestion that um, yeah, I become I think king? So, yeah. yeah, that's a great, great stuff. Shakespeare's yeah, good. I mean, Did you know? Um, hot take. William Shakespeare is kind of a good writer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we do have the beginning of some of the extremely forced clothing imagery in this play. Yeah. Um, wow. It's like he's wearing strange garments that cleave not to their mold, but by the aid, but with the aid of use. It's almost like he's in a role he shouldn't be occupying. Imagine hmm. that. Yeah. So uh, the scene after this uh, is where we are in. No, it's not. Uh, the scene after this is where Macbeth comes to the king's court. Uh, yes. Oh, there's a line here early in the scene you're talking about. They've just executed Macdonald. Yes. And, the, and Duncan says, there's no art to find the mind's construction in the face. He, that is Macdonald, was a gentleman on whom I built an absolute trust. Hmm. Oh, hmm. did he just did he just do a physiognomy? <laughs> yes. Well, that's honestly not Jim even. Duncan is cancelled too. <laughs> that honestly isn't even what I was going to comment is on. Is anyone in this play salvageable? Um, Lady maybe Macbeth. Lady Macduff. We'll get to her. I like Lady. I, the Victorians loved her, which is maybe why we shouldn't like her. But anyway, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So the previous thing of Cordor has snuffed it, and now um, he is going to be replaced in his title by Macbeth. Yay! Yes, this is where Macbeth and the king meet and where we find out that aside from being an incredibly brave soldier and the king's greatest general, he is also the king's cousin. Well, actually, that's just a generic title of royal address amongst oh, yeah, that equal is true. peers. Yeah. Equal peers. Mind you, I don't think it's a bad reading to say like they are literally related. Um, there does seem yeah. to be some pretty close uh, kinship ties. I mean, that ties. seems to be the mainstream reading, right? That Macbeth and the king are all relatives of some kind. I think that is like actually the historical fact too. Don't quote yeah. me on that. Um, it might just be like, thank you, my royal cuz, but like they are probably related in some yeah. respect. I, I mean, mean, if, if you've nothing up, else... I'm just picturing an updated text where the king calls Macbeth bro. Yeah, it's not that far off. Yeah. Um, but in any event, they are close enough that um, the king, after declaring that his eldest son, Malcolm, is Prince of Cumberland, that is heir to the throne, uh, Satland is kind of an elective monarchy. It, it's not clear, like, at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, typically early medieval. Yeah. I feel like. Um, but he says, like, hey, thanks for being such a cool guy, Macbeth, Thane of Cawdor. How about we go to your castle of Dunsinane and have some dinner? And Macbeth is like, Yay. fuck, I have to kill a kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I will be forced to do this now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, that's when you get soliloquy number two. And um, Macbeth basically says, yeah, I guess his son is fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's in my way. Yeah. The Prince of Cumberland, that is the step on which I must fall down or else or leap, for in my way it lies. It's great. Yes. 
Um, poor guy. And I mean, I could definitely see how you could play Macbeth at this point as just like a creature of raw ambition. Mm-hmm. When it's he interesting. says those lines. It's interesting because um, uh, in the next scene, we have Lady Lady Macbeth. Yes, this is the first in the time next we meet scene, her. We are introduced to Lady Macbeth uh, in this production, Judy Dench. Yes. So who we... I think is possibly an even better casting choice than McKellen as Macbeth. She is fantastic in this. Yeah, absolutely. Like she was born to play that role. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fairness, most uh, female Elizabethan actor <laughs> Elizabethan actors. That's not a really a thing. Uh, Shakespearean, Shakespearean actors think they were, and they might be right. Um, right. So we meet her and she's reading a letter where I guess like if you went to the bathroom or bought an orange from the concessions at the Globe Theater, they're like reminding you what's just happened. Yeah. Uh, like like your production kind of cut it, cut trims it a little bit because you don't really I mean, need. Yeah. That- this is again where we have to remember the circumstances of the earliest productions, because your choice for evening entertainment in London at this point was watch the new Shakespeare play or uh, watch some bears get baited to fight. Yeah. Or, or watch some dogs kill each other, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess that was more common than bear baiting in England, yeah. Probably. They, they love their bears. They love killing bears. Yeah. They love animal abuse in all kinds. It's <laughs> um, a fine English tradition, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> From the bear baiters of Elizabethan times to the fox hunters of today. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, Right. So Lady Macbeth um, says she fears that uh, her husband is too full of the milk of human kindness. Yes, you may have, have heard that point. one. Oh, you do. Yet do I fear thy nature. It is too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Thou wouldst be great. Art not without ambition. Yeah, and I think this is... I can't believe a- that Shakespeare was stealing from Fallout 3. <laughs> yeah so she's basically saying that my lines here say incel shit a little bit it's interesting that, like, like I, Macbeth is nice but he's too nice to be successful which interesting I was thinking of him like there's a great path well it's this, is, great. this is an interesting line to deliver if you're playing it as like Macbeth as a creature of raw ambition Mm, yeah, and I think it's something that kind of holds back that interpretation. You're right. Uh, I was just I was thinking about it. Um, th- there's a pretty decent Patrick Stewart production uh, of Macbeth, sort of set in. Yeah. It, it sort of has the vibes of like Hoxhaist Albania or Ceausescu's Romania <laughs> or something like that. Yes. And I was thinking of like a, a historical equivalent of someone who clearly wants to be like the leader of their country, but might not quite have the drive in it to really be as brutal as that might require yeah um and it's interesting you know i i i enjoy finding like historical parallels of like real people to act upon when you're doing a performance i can't really think of a good one yet for Macbeth in this context of someone who is too nice to be i mean I a, think... a bloodthirsty dictator <laughs> yeah i think that was kind of Orlando's vibe to bring us back to sweden discourse Except <laughs> that he didn't kill his predecessor, he just fell upwards when his predecessor died, mm. and then stuck around for over 20 years because he was both he was both too competent to be removed and too nice for opposition to form around him. <laughs> uh, it's funny, honestly... and also and also too timid to just like interfere with democracy. So he just 
he kept getting reelected, but kept the allowing himself to be reelected. comparison to this kind of climate of constant ambition and backstabbing and coups that I can think of is Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could definitely see like a modernist reinterpretation of Macbeth set in an Australian party room. In Canberra. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is, anyway, Lady Macbeth, great character. You may have heard of her before. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I think she is possibly the most famous woman in any Shakespeare play. It would be hard to think of another one. Yeah. I mean, maybe aside I mean, from like Juliet. Juliet. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 between her and Lady Anne. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's definitely like a rich spectrum of, of yeah. womanhood between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, we but have... Yeah. So anyway, so a messenger comes and tells Lady Macbeth, the historical Lady Macbeth, by the way, was named Gruach. Incredible, yes. Incredible medieval Scotland. That is some like. Highland energy right there. Yeah, so we're not going to call her that. <laughs> no. Uh, we're just going to call her Lady Macbeth, or Lady, as the folio text does. Yeah. Anyway, she's informed by a messenger. Or Judy Dench, in my case. Judy Dench. Judy Dench is informed by a messenger that the king is coming to their castle. Yes. And um, she... And she too concludes that, okay, this is our chance to kill him. Do you have Unsex Me here as a, as a clip? Unfortunately, no. Okay. Well, she calls on you spirits... I need to be better at this, clearly. <laughs> she calls on, quote, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts to unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood, stop up the access and passage to remorse. Um, come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers, etc., etc. It's a lot. Um, you could you could write about the gender in here. It's interesting. It's fucked up. Yes. As hell. Oh yeah. Oh, Internalized yeah. I mean, misogyny. Plenty of people have written about the gender of, of the gender dynamics of Lady Macbeth. I think mm-hmm. it's, um, it feels like a pretty stereotypical sort of term essay woman. on Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, very creepy stuff. Judy Dench is great in all this. She's, oh yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, my line in the notes after the one that just says "incel shit?" question mark says <laughs> Judy Dench is very good at incel shit. <laughs> she is. Um. Wow. Yeah. So at this point, uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth meet, and they cook up a plan. Depending on the production. Their reunion is either very um, passionate or very icy. And it's just interesting. In this production, it's very passionate. I think, it is. I think they actually kiss. Yeah, they do kiss. At the very um, least, they embrace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, the plan they hatch is to get the king is to serpents. look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. Be- because this yeah. was written in-, in the wake of the gunpowder plot, as I mentioned. Yes. Uh, and so the plan is to get two of the king's servants drunk, so drunk they black out, then kill the king in his sleep uh, and plant the daggers on the servants to make it look as though they are the guilty ones. They haven't actually planned this yet, but you're right. <laughs> they, oh, they, they haven't? They haven't told us this yet. Yeah, my notes get sparser at this point, so... Um, we have a very boring 1-6. The king shows up and is like, boy, this sure is a lovely castle. Thank you for 
the, your policy of guest right, which is very important. We are your guests tonight. Boy, I sure hope you don't kill me because I am your guest. <laughs> subtext. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> um, I know writers who use subtext that are all cowards. Yeah, pr- William Shakespeare, 1605. Um, <laughs> there's, a we- there's a weird little line about how, the, how Lady Macbeth says she will rest uh, King Duncan's hermits because apparently he would have he might have traveled with like royally sponsored hermits and beggars, which is wild to me. I think they cut that because it's not clear at all, yeah. but it's, it's neat. Uh, and I, I'm, you know, to the, uh, to, to an earlier audience, the implications of this as him being incredibly holy, I mean, obnoxiously. So really um, yeah. are clear. Right. Um, but it, it's, 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 it's sorry. William oh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'm sure someone did that in the 1880s. Oh, definitely. I mean, um, given given the extent to which that sort of thing shows up in Gilbert and Sullivan, I can only imagine. Um, but really, I think 1-6 is just sort of a demonstration of, um, you know, the, the, the depth of the betrayal they're going to do. Because they're oh, yeah. not, he's not just their sovereign, he's their guest. And they, they talk about this. Okay, 1-7. Yeah. This is a big it's one. Like hospitality. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, um, if it were done when it is done, then for well, it were done quickly. So true. Could be said of a podcast. Um, <laughs> Where are we for time? I don't know. An hour um, and 25 minutes, and we are in Act One. Fuck. Maybe we can divide it into parts? We probably have to. That's uh, not a bad idea, actually. I think we actually. should take a break before too long. Uh, I am I sorry. Yeah. Fuck, I, I get into it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so this is the last scene of Act One. Macbeth enters saying, man, I guess I'm going to kill the king, but gosh, I wish it would just end here. <laughs> um, uh, and he says, as, as, my, as his kinsman, this is a problem. As his subject, this is a problem. As his host, this is a problem. There we are, they're kinsmen. Just yeah. sort of his royal kinsmen. His virtues will plead like angels. So, you know, you're, you're only killing an angel. Good job, Macbeth. Um, yeah, and I mean, this is, this is really interesting, right? Because it's, like, it's clear that he thinks this is an extremely bad thing for him to do. Mm-hmm, but he's doing it. Yeah, because the witch has said he was gonna, so he has to. And you know, even his, quote, vaulting ambition is not really good enough to sustain this. He has yeah, vaulting I mean, ambition, but it or leaps itself. It, 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 it's, it's not good enough. It, it's a fuck up. Yeah. And this is, this is interesting, again, mm-hmm. given that like the, the dissonance here between his vaulting ambition and how he actually acts. Absolutely. Like everything he's doing is because he has to. And then he tells like the, the whole ambition thing is really feels very informed. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Because this isn't as really opposed a... to Lady Macbeth's ambition, which is clear on full display all the time mm-hmm. yeah, in absolutely um, everything she does. And so he seems to have second thoughts. We will proceed no further in this business. He, he, he's been nice yeah. to me. He's been good to me. He's given me a good title. And Lady M says, fuck you. <laughs> He's given Um, him two good titles because he was already the Thane of Glamis before this began. Yes, exactly. 
Um, Although we don't know if that was King Duncan who made him that. Or if well, we his it. father's death made him that. By Sinnel's yeah. death, I know I am Thane of Cawdor. Anyway, um, Lady M says, fuck you. You know, well, you can't back out now, dipshit. Um, and, and then she pulls the uh, I have given suck and know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me card. Um, basically, oh, yeah, that, she says, that famous I, card. Uh, she says, I feel so strongly about this. I would kill our hypothetical child. They have no child, I will say. Yeah. They may have had one at some time. I don't know. Um, but do that's matter. fun. Anyway, yeah. Macbeth says, what if we fuck up? What if we fail? But screw your skirt to the sticking place. Maybe you've heard that one before. And we'll not fail. So that's that's fun. Yeah. And, and that's when they uh, come up with the plan to, to get the guards drunk. By the way, not a great security apparatus you got here, Duncan. Yeah. I, um, but uh, the I plan mean, is... He is he is a saint on earth. Just yeah. Guards. That's a good point, actually. Um, Who would kill him? Who would be so monstrously evil? Camera pans to Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> Being like, no. Um, she calls his officers who they Camera pans to-, to Macbeth awkwardly eating a sandwich. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Uh, they, she calls his officers spongy, which I think is funny. Yes. Um, they're, I, guess they're I, love, I love a Shakespearean insult. It's not even an insult. It's just like a weird adjective. Anyway, Macbeth is now canceled. Because he says, you are so awesome and badass, babe. You should give birth to men children only. Wow. Sexist <laughs> much? I was going to say Bonnie and Clyde energy, but. Nah. Also that, yeah. There anyway. are some, there's some weird gender shit happening all throughout this play, isn't it? Unquestionably. Yeah. But they are just, they have decided they are gonna do it they are going into his chamber and they are going to pull out the daggers and they are going to kill duncan and on that note we have gone on very long yes, uh, for, for one and act think, it, it's a it's I a long the first reasonable act, thing to do here is to split this into two episodes two episodes um maybe two and a half we'll see how this goes yeah so the the first episode will be this that you have just listened to. Mm-hmm. Because I, and, and to be fair, it was also the intro. So I don't think we should be too hard on ourselves. Yeah. And then the second episode will be um, the rest of the play. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the performance history after that. A little bit. We, we won't have that much if time. We'll this time. Yeah. I mean, we've um, already kind of talked about character interpretations and stuff. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So let's, so we're going to pause here. On- yes. The, sp- the dead, dead, dead Duncan man. I think this is a good cliffhanger. Absolutely. What will happen How next? How does it turn out? Yeah. What will happen I mean, next? This, Mac- this Macbeth guy seems destined for greatness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the-, the House of Stuart. I can't is wait descent- to see what happens to him. <laughs> uh, will, Ma- will, sh- will Macbeth get milkshake ducked? Let's find out. <laughs> what will happen to Bankworth's children? Actually, they'll be fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's see what happens next. And if yep. you're a sleepy groom, buddy, I, I hope you have life insurance. 
Yeah. I mean, in general, if you are a character in this play, I hope you're <laughs> Yeah. It's a pretty, it's not the highest body count, but it's not small. Um, yeah. Hey, Max. I mean, it's a Shakespeare. I was just, it is a Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah. Speaking of Shakespearean tragedies, uh, where can people find us? Where can people find us? We are elusive beings. We sure are. I have a Twitter. You can yes. find me on um, Beata Beatrix one at Beata Beatrix one. That's that's me. Yeah, uh, and I am at Rail Tragedy. Appropriately enough, considering we have been on a very railroaded tragedy so far. <laughs> it is a little railroaded. Um, and uh, yeah, beyond that, I also have a Medium page. It has absolutely nothing to do with Shakespeare whatsoever. But if you want to read about uh, currently Brazilian elections and possibly other elections in the future, you can find that at mapmax.medium.com. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and I think... Joao Goulart, perhaps the Macbeth of his day. Maybe so. <laughs> Not actually. <laughs> anyway, uh, for the moment, we'll be signing off. Yes, we will be we recording. Will. Uh, I mean, you, you may, I'm not sure when you'll hear the second part of this. Um, no. It will not be chronologically contiguous with when no. we are doing this. But then uh, this play was not chronologically contiguous with anything. Yes, much Ooh. like the play Macbeth, we are violating the unity of time. <laughs> And indeed, violating the sanctity of the divine right of kings. Indeed. All right, on that note, we'll see you in a little bit. Yes. Bye bye now. Bye.